It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Comic Book Alex. Oh, wait. Scott the Retailer. Oops, wrong show. No, I'm just lowly Scott Artis from scottartist.com. Yeah, I've upgraded and finally have a website at scottartist.com. But yeah, if you want to get those other guys, you got to go to Star Wars Minute. It's always good to give them a plug since they started the genre. <laughs> I was living vicariously through them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you want their popularity, don't you? <laughs> I do. I am jealous. If you guys are listening, yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> and this is Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. And we have Froggy in the studio today. I just that wanted we do. to mention that. Yeah, hopefully she doesn't have that rubber star toy that just really squeaks. It sounds like it's a basketball <laughs> cord in here and then it's a pain. Because then you're trying to say, Froggy, why are you chewing on that? Thanks for joining us for Minute 57 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Happy Monday, y'all. I trust everyone had a good weekend, pillaging and plundering their nearby villages and ports in true pirate fashion, I hope. We had a number of suggestions for the idea of a listener's group regarding the name and support for setting one up. Guess we may actually do that since there seems to be some popularity around that. You know, we'll see what happens, like I said, but maybe we'll go ahead and do that. Doug came up with one that meshed all the names of the movies, and then we had some votes for the Cursed Crew name, and then Adam suggested the Bilgerat Brigade, based off your pirate phrase of the week. And so I have to say I'm a bit partial to that one, just because it really denotes that basically we're all a bunch of scallywags here. Or you're a Bilgerat. Well, it could be that too. It's like that phrase, isn't it, that the light company, you know, what is it, you search out your light company or... I have no idea what I'm saying now. Great minds think alike? Yeah, it's kind of like that. But you want to be in your own company. What the hell is the name of that phrase? (laughs) I completely lost what that was. You probably know and you're just not saying anything. So I say we'll probably get a listeners group going this week or maybe next week. But then we can have everybody comment on things that need to be commented on. And we can go over some of the stuff that we come up with and just share all things Pirates of the Caribbean and Pirates of the Caribbean universe. So it should be fun. Sounds great. Do you notice I'm wearing my medallion today? Yeah, you are wearing a pirate medallion today, but that's because you're cursed. (laughs) Or I'm cursed, actually. Because, yeah, I think that's really how it goes. I'm the cursed one here, for sure. You're wearing the medallion, but I'm the one who's taking the wrath for you having that. Oh, good. You should. (laughs) Before this even goes further into craziness like we did at the end of last week, Before we get into the minute, what's our pirate word or phrase of the week, Heather? Yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. Claw cat? Claw cat. Nice one. (laughs) I have no idea. I don't even know where to go with that. (laughs) It's a vicious or dangerous woman or girl. (laughs) Well, good one, claw cat. (laughs) (laughs) I think we already established that, and I was playing right into it with your cursed medallion there. Yes. Didn't even know it. No, I didn't. But that's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Everybody can use that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody knows Heather, 
then you can use that phrase. Really? For sure. Really? Exactly. I don't think so. In the previous minute, Elizabeth Swan embraces her animal instincts and gives Captain Barbosa one hell of a private show. (laughs) (laughs) That she is. (laughs) Now I have to start that over. Okay, I'll just say that she gives Captain Barbosa one hell of a private show. He offers and she takes off the turkey, bread, and wine from the table. Stopping short of being the apple of his eye. I mean appetite. A perplexed and most likely still hungry Elizabeth attempts to secure her freedom with logic, telling him that she is no further value to him since he has his trinket. Barbosa pulls the medallion from his pocket and left us hanging with the incredibly intriguing word, you. Minute 57 begins with the rest of the words rolling off his tongue. Don't know what this is, do you? A simple, it's a pirate medallion from the last fails to impress the captain as he gives her the goods. This is Aztec gold. One of 882 identical pieces they delivered in a stone chest to Cortez himself, all while holding the medallion between his thumb and forefinger, allowing it to dangle over his knuckles. The minute ends with Barbosa saying, Bearing on an isle of the dead what cannot be found except for those who already know where it is. Find it we did. Before we jump into this minute, I think we actually have to revisit minute 56, specifically why Elizabeth was so hungry and our speculation at how much time has passed since the voyage from Port Royal to Tortuga that Jack and Will made when Norrington and Gillette were kind enough to let them borrow the HMS Interceptor. You calculated this? Well, I kind of did and went over it, but that's because we had one of our listeners, Adam, go back and do that. So needless to say... We were winging things a bit in the conversation, and I know it's unlike us to just make blatant statements without any facts to support them. It's like very out of character for us. I know everybody is out there saying that, at least for me anyways. You, maybe is a different story. Well, after the show, I really started thinking about it with a critical eye and figured I'd do some digging over the weekend. But as I mentioned, super contributor Adam beat me to it and posted some excellent research and information to our Facebook page. Which is just another great tie-in and reason why the listeners group probably should happen is so all this stuff can come out. Anyways, I was essentially working off an assumption that the Interceptor was sailing in this vacuum, if you will. There's no other variables involved and at a constant speed of 10 knots. And that was based off information I found regarding the Lady Washington and an approximate running speed of 10 knots. And that was on the Pirates of the Caribbean Wikia. And as we recall, the Lady Washington is the ship that portrays the HMS Interceptor. So just kind of going off that. And since the distance from Port Royal to Tortuga is roughly 250 nautical miles, we were looking at a travel time of about 25 hours. Again, kind of in this vacuum where no other variables apply. The ship just starts out at 10 knots, continues on 10 knots, and pulls right up to the dock, gets off, boom, we're there. Well, Things don't usually happen in a vacuum like that. Thus, our conversation surrounding Elizabeth as this ravenous wild animal happened. But I dropped the ball and didn't really make any of that clear and really didn't think about that during our conversation when we were having it. I was really just so focused on how hungry she was, probably because I was really hungry for some of that meal too. (laughs) But Adam, on the other hand, brought us back to reality and... Took us out of that vacuum scenario as the ship definitely couldn't maintain a 10 knot average speed at the time. During his research about distances and average speeds at sailing ships in the 1700s, he found Port Royal to Tortuga is approximately 255 nautical miles. Average speeds at sailing ships at the time were 4 to 5 knots with bursts of up to 20 knots. Let's assume that the Interceptor and the Pearl are both fast ships, so we'll bump up their speed to around 6 knots on average, maybe 22 with a good wind. So what we do get from that 
is that the Pearl departed Port Royal in the evening. The next morning, Will woke up and broke Jack out of jail. And then we can also assume that the Interceptor departed after Jack and Will commandeered her sometime in the early afternoon. Given the distance and average speeds of the ships, it would take the Interceptor about 63 hours, give or take, to get to Tortuga from Port Royal. Now that's with a full crew, which probably would be a couple of dozen sailors working the rigging. So the Interceptor was crewed by just two people here. Well, maybe one. You have Jack yeah. telling Will what's going on. And what's Will doing? Yeah, he's whittling, right? Or <laughs> sharp, he's sharpening his sword. <laughs> whittling, sharpening your sword. They're all the same euphemism, right? <laughs> so the Interceptor was just crewed by two people and two is in finger quotes, which means her speed was probably greatly reduced. And so if we accept that, then the events of the film are being depicted in order as they happen, then it is at least several days since the Black Pearl departed Port Royal with Elizabeth on board, and she was probably being kept in the brig of the ship this whole time, then it's safe to assume it had been several days since she had actually had a real decent meal. And so I doubt she'd been starved aboard the ship, but she was probably being handed a crust of bread and water, so her ravenous eating makes a lot of sense. And so that was really just great info, and like I said... He beat me to the research point. And since I was really based not in reality, but was dealing with these hypothetical speeds like I presented, definitely makes more sense of what Adam's saying. But I also decided just to kind of take things on and do some of the research that I had intended to do as well to just get a further idea of how fast the Lady Washington is and would actually travel. And so I had a good reference point to work with. And prior to filming in the Caribbean, the Lady Washington had to sail from Long Beach, California to St. Vincent, which was a trip about 4,400 nautical miles. And it took them 40 days to make that voyage. So just based on that information alone, the average sailing speed after using our thinking machine, supercomputers. Do you know where that's from? No. Oh, the Jurassic Park reference. Remember Mr. DNA? Oh, yeah. Thinking machine supercomputers. <laughs> yeah, That's my Jurassic Park reference for the day. So to get to from point A to point B was roughly 4.6 knots after a smidge of rounding. But that doesn't take into account that I believe they had to actually stop and make repairs and go through the Panama Canal and all these other little things that impede just like this straight up sailing. So even if we give them a day or two off the clock or even five days off the clock, we're still in the four to five knot range, if you will. And that is... You know, pretty interesting and telling. So in real life, we are looking at a couple of days for them to make Tortuga. And thus, Elizabeth probably didn't have a decent meal for a couple of days. So what do you think about that? You're giving me the eye like, no, that movie was just <laughs> one day. That's it. You are. You're still wanting to operate no, in the vacuum. No. I just can't believe that they didn't feed her more than bread and water. Why not? She was a guest. I mean, we don't know what's to come, but it will make sense, won't it? Once we learn about the curse. Yeah, but she was a guest. He well, he invited her on their sailing trip. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't the love boat. <laughs> black love boat. <laughs> you know, they all have black hearts now. But they weren't trying to treat her poorly because they still were trying to... I mean, we're getting into spoiler territory now, but just think about what the curse is about food. They weren't necessarily having to eat. Right. right? If we're going to get into things that happen in a you know in a minute or the next minute, I don't think they were preparing this stuff for her, and so she was obviously on board. So I know what you're saying is that it looks like it's a continuous thing. Theoretically, our trip it could be 24 be. hours, but not bloody likely. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Adam, for pointing that out. I agree with you. Heather's still on the fence about it because she's just kind of moving on this lineage here. 
But don't you think that's why they added the, her hunger to the film so much is to denote like that a few days have passed? Maybe that's why they did it. It was like something with the filmmaking. How do we, it's that, it's not like they could show a clock with the hands moving or the sun, you know, just the sun setting and coming up or something like that. It's just, maybe they could portray passage of time by showing how hungry she is. Yeah. And so they're just showing you that, yeah, it's been a couple of days since they left. Okay. I'll give it to you. That's just my thoughts. Backed up. I'll, with, I'll never see it again, but I'll give it to you right now. Backed, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> backed up with some real hard science based on calculations from thinking machine supercomputers. Yeah. I, yeah. She's sure. still shaking her head, but I think we all know the truth here. I'll give it to you, but I can tell you next time I see the movie. It'll still see that same I'll way. I'll still see. You're not, changing how you're, you're not changing how you see the movie when you watch it. No. So even though the facts are there, it's still going to appear to you like, man, she is just one hungry. Yeah. Like she's eating like a (laughs) crazy woman for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we can't change your perception here, I guess. But that does help make some sense of why she'd be so freaking hungry. Yes, I agree. So yes, theoretically, it could be 24-hour trip, but most likely it wasn't. And we have multiple facts. And so even what Adam found out, Four to five knots really actually fits with what I found just by calculating, like I said, without all those variables in there, the four to five knots kind of average speed from them to get all the way from Long Beach to Tor, well, not Tortuga, but to St. Vincent, where they are actually going to film the movie. Right. So that makes more sense. That's kind of like more average speeds. And I think that would actually, if you were to calculate that out, it was like 110 miles per day as they were traveling at that speed, if you were to just break it down. Not in knots, but just by days traveling. And if it's 250 miles, you're still looking at like two days just, you know, so it's because it's the same thing. It's just 110 miles a day is still two days kind of deal to get there. Right. And that makes sense why she was so hungry. So how about we just actually officially jump into minute 57 then? Sounds good. Okay. Did you notice the ring on Barbosa's hand when he's showing Elizabeth the Aztec gold? I did, but I didn't really... Which is sad to say, I didn't really pay that much attention to it, actually. I was kind of wondering, because it's got like this gold on top of a stone, Uh you know, this gold piece or silver piece on top of a stone. So I was kind of looking at it, trying to see it on the computer, and I was trying to figure out what it was. I was wondering if it was like, it was basically the island, Uh you know, that they're going to. Yeah, I could think it kind of looked like an island now that I think about it. But then when I looked it up online, I found a little more information about it. All right, hit us with it. It's actually a lion's head on top of the stone that's Uh on the silver ring. Silver, by the way. And the lion's head represents the status of leader for Barbosa. So I found that a little interesting, you know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, because the lion actually has a lot of symbolism with being, well, king of the jungle. Yeah. That kind of person in charge. Richard yeah. the Lionheart, all these kinds of things that come out. Yeah. Very it's really cool. kind of a neat ring when you actually look on it face on. Kind of detailed lion on there. It's yeah, really I'm glad they cool. didn't put a skull and crossbones on there. Something that was overtly pirate like that. Because yeah. I know we have touched about some of the true pirate myths and facts before. About kind of jewelry and things that they would wear. And skull and crossbones definitely wasn't on the list. Unless they had maybe stolen it from somebody. They wouldn't have gone out just to get a pirate skull crossbone kind of symbol ring so i'm glad that they didn't actually fall into that trap yeah which probably would have been okay anyway since we are pirates of the caribbean and and taking on those things but i like the lion aspect of it as well 
Yeah, I thought the line was pretty cool. It looked like it was a green color stone that it was sitting on. Hmm. They're focused in on both the medallion and his ring. Yeah, he really is holding because well, he's telling the story about the medallion, and mm-hmm. so it really is kind of draped over his knuckles in his hand, and he's showing dirty it knuckles, to her the by whole the way. time. <laughs> <laughs> You're always obsessed with the dirt, whether it's Jack Sparrow or anybody. It always comes up. You and your bathing thing. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> We also get a good shot of the whole shifting set in this cabin. We talked about the hydraulics of it and it moving back and forth. But you get a pan out of the full shot of this table. And you have these candelabras just kind of moving back and forth on this table, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. And I, we talked about it a when lot he, last time, so we're not going to rehash When that, he stands up and he's kind of walking around and they right. kind of pan through the whole room. And it's such a neat set. Candles hanging from the ceiling are swaying. That's right. And the monkeys on his little perch back there swaying. Everything on the table is kind of going back and forth. It's just such a neat set. Yeah, it's it, really I think cool. So. I wonder if they were actually just set there or if there was any special effects. I didn't really look at how they did that, so I, I maybe I should have. But did, you know, it's like, did they grease it or were there little wheels on things or was it on little pulleys or tracks or something? <laughs> or was it just a free-for-all that these things were on the table and they were allowed to move as they would normally move without any... Special effects wizardry. You'd kind of be worried if that was the case because you don't want anything to fall off the table either. Just slide enough to fall off the table. Well, I'm sure that you could strategically put things on the... Well, you could strategically put things on the table so that they would do that. Or that it wouldn't fall off. Because it wasn't rocking so severely. It's not like in a real pirate setting where the waves may... There may be some differences in waves or like a giant rogue wave that comes that knocks everything off. But there, this was a con, could be a constant thing that they could regulate so they knew how much stuff yeah. was going to slide. Well, in a real pirate or in a real ship, let's say, pirate ship, what did they do? Did they have ledges like around tables to kind of make sure things don't fall off? That's or, a good question. You know? I didn't get into the table making. Uh, it just came up. Pirate I know. ships and ships <laughs> I ask the you time. these funny things that just all of a sudden come in my head. Yeah, because you're kind of thinking of boats today where sometimes they have, or oftentimes like for cabinets and cupboards and things like that, there's a ledge or there's not just a lock on the door, but or a latch kind of lock on the door where maybe you have to pull the handle and it triggers the latch. But there's also kind of these rims that go across the shelves to help hold stuff in just from sliding off. So were tables, did they have that kind of border rim and the tables maybe sunk? I don't know. I, I don't remember recall seeing anything like that in some of the movies or on historical stuff but I, that it's possible yeah an interesting thought maybe they just knew hey you just put it there and you hope for the best <laughs> you hope your candles don't go flying off the table <laughs> well that's right yeah <laughs> right yeah so you just hope for the best for the most part and we're supposed to be careful with flames and things on board and we talked a lot about that before is that you probably wouldn't see a bunch of candles just floating around the ship like that. They would, A, be encased in a lantern and be somewhat regulated. <laughs> You're not just, hey, I need a thousand candles here. Can you just go ahead and light them all up? No, it's perfectly safe. Trust me. Yeah, it's okay. These are special candles. They they won't catch anything on fire. I have an interesting thought You're on just, captains. Okay. The pirate captain is the highest ranking but he's still the equal member of the crew. That's right. So anybody could actually use the captain's quarters then because they're all equal on the ship. 
<laughs> just went piling in there with them. <laughs> I guess. No, the crew and I decided to sleep in here today, Mr. Barbosa. <laughs> it's Captain Barbosa. No, 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 today it's Mr. Barbosa. <laughs> so, yeah, anybody can use a captain's quarters because they're all equal on there. I doubt that's how it happened. Oh, that's, what I, that's what I found on the DVD. They said anybody could use the captain's. Yeah, you know those little facts that pop up? They say on the DVD that anybody can use the captain's quarters because they're all considered equal on a pirate ship. Get out of town. I'm going to have to look that up. That's a little bizarre. That's what it said. Okay. I mean, I didn't verify it with anything else, but that's what it said. Maybe, again, this could be things that are happening in a vacuum. Theoretically, they could do that. But the first guy to try it comes out without a hand. <laughs> well, I'm, sleep- I'm sleeping right next to you, Captain. In fact, you're going to be sleeping down with the crew. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it seemed Are you just weird. making things up? No, that's what it Didn't said. we just go over the problem with us just, well, you, I should say, just saying things off the cuff I'm without not- having some kind of backup research on this? Well, I've, I've seen it on the backs on the DVD thing, so I figured it was true. I didn't look it up. This will definitely be something I'm going to be looking into. We'll have to report back at a later time. But that just seems a little odd that somebody has the galt and the stones. To, maybe nobody actually did it. It was there. It's like one maybe. of these rules and nobody actually took them up on maybe. it. Because they, you know, they vote the captain in. Well, of course. So, we vote like the president in, but I can't just stroll and sleep the in the White House. White House. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I'm going to be parking it here in Lincoln's my, bedroom today. No, 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 no. That's the rules. My taxes pay for this place, so I'm coming in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Heather, again, is just making stuff no, up. And not, basically, she's giving us more up. homework because now we got to look that up because you reported it out there. Or somebody will probably tell us and. Give us uh, inside information before we get to it, but yeah. I found it. I did not get a second opinion. Okay, it's qualified. (laughs) We we understand that you're bringing it to us without any real backup evidence. Yeah. Or evidence to back it up. Okay. Yeah, leave it there. It's a little bizarre. I just don't know how that happens. Maybe they never did it, like you said. Yeah, maybe it's something Maybe it's okay. Yeah, you can, but yeah, nobody ever did it because they didn't want the wrath of the captain. Be a little, yeah, that, that's a weird conversation to have happen. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the pirate employee of the month or the pirate of the month, he gets to sleep in the captain's quarters for yep. a, a day in the month or day in a week or something yep. like that. <laughs> his, his picture is hanging over, you know, in the galley there so everybody could see it and it's on the deck or, or just right on the mast there. So people are, oh, Pintel, congratulations. You made Pirate Employee of the Week, you know, or the month, whatever. Oh, you and your craziness. So if we can get back to some of the real stuff and not the stuff that Heather likes to make up, this almost is like the first instance of supernatural and ghost stories going mainstream in the Pirates of the Caribbean universe almost or this world. At least for many. I mean, maybe it's not necessarily the expanded universe. But Elizabeth tells Barbosa she hardly believes in ghost stories. Mm-hmm. So the whole skeleton thing, it's not like this stuff is just happening every day and that it's out there. I mean, there's maybe stories about it. And then Barbosa also says he didn't either believe in this until he was basically struck with the curse. So I'm kind of taking this as like, well, maybe the whole, were- you know, we talked about werewolves before, but the werewolf myth. It's out there. It's a myth or a legend. And maybe that's the same thing kind of with the Black Pearl. It's this myth or legend that people just assume is a story. 
because everybody else who's maybe seen what actually happens with the curses ended up dead, or at least most of them have. And then the one, the few who escape as Jack like to point out to the other pirate prisoners, well, then how did the story get out? Yeah. The one who did get away is telling everybody, yeah, no, there was the skeletons and they were attacking us. And everybody's going, this crazy guy, he was attacked <laughs> by pirates, he lost his mind, there's no skeletons running around. So maybe it's that whole kind of myth legend thing. It doesn't have this real place in reality, at least for most people, because they haven't seen it. And so that's how I'm kind of looking at it, maybe. Yeah. But it's not like, is where I'm going with this, it's not like this stuff is just normal behavior to see skeletons potentially running around. Or even the idea that it's possible that skeletons are running around or curses are true and ghost stories are true. It's not normal? No. Are you sure? At least not in this universe. Oh, okay. Barbosa also drops the name Cortez during his whole Aztec gold curse speech. And he says it's to stem the slaughter Cortez wreaked upon the Aztecs with his armies. Cortez does really have this role beyond a mere name and mention in the Pirates of the Caribbean universe. And there are some differences actually between Pirates of the Caribbean and real life regarding Cortez. And I know that's shocking, but they did take some liberties with Cortez, if you will. Oh, okay. At some point before sailing to Mexico, Cortez obtained a magical sword. And I'll let you decide which one of these is actually true and which is the made-up part for Pirates of the Caribbean and which is actual reality. Okay. So a magical sword. Okay. Said to have the power to rule an entire kingdom. And when he was armed with that sword, in 1519, Cortez led the Spanish army to conquer new lands in the West. During his conquest, Cortez was unstoppable in battle thanks to the power of his sword. That weapon also convinced the Aztecs that Cortez was the god Quetzalcoatl, and returned to them in human form. The Aztec emperor served as Cortez's subordinate, but soon Cortez began to dominate the whole Aztec empire, massacre its people, and for his betrayal, the emperor, the Aztec emperor, I should say, was stoned to death by his own men. Then we get to the point where enough is enough, and the Aztecs bribe him with the 882 pieces of cursed gold. In reality, since I'll actually just throw it out for you, because I'm afraid that you thought the whole magical sword thing was actually based in reality. I did. I know you did. Well, no, I was actually thinking that the sword, you know, it made him feel powerful. Well, that's and that it made him powerful just because he thought it was a magical sword. It was all just a mind thing. That could have been, but I didn't read anything about a magical sword or even the thought of a magical sword. But again, okay. I didn't get into Hernan Cortez history very much. I just skimmed what? I just skimmed enough over it to make it look like I was a true historian. Now, that I had a PhD in history is really what I wanted it to look like. Now, I got you that book on Cortez. You didn't actually <laughs> read it? You mean book by, hey, go to wikipedia.com. <laughs> in reality, Cortez was a Spanish conquistador who led an expedition that caused the fall of the Aztec Empire and brought a large portion of mainland Mexico under the rule of the King of Castile in the early 16th century. But a magical sword is probably the stuff of Pirates of the Caribbean legend and this whole expanded universe. Because we don't see any Cortez here. We don't hear anything about a magic sword. But with the curse going on, there's definitely room to have a magic sword in this universe, for sure. Yes. After he overthrew the Aztec Empire, Cortez was given a new title. But a more prestigious title of Viceroy actually was given to a different higher ranking nobleman. And this all had to do with Cortez and some mutiny and ignoring orders. So he ended up going back to Spain in 1541 and then died peacefully but embittered, it said, in 1547. So that's the real Cortez. 
And that led me actually to really trying to examine the 882 pieces of gold here, this Aztec gold. Uh-huh. And while attempting to, I know it's shocking, to become another expert in a field, I checked out numerology for the first time. And I was looking to pad my resume so that it just wasn't all like antique arms and armory and obviously a historian. But I was hoping to find like this grand connection to anything, anything that was 882 since it had a specific number Barbosa throws out. Not necessarily just anything, but really specifically like what is the significance of this number culturally to Aztecs? Uh-huh. And what I found will shock you. What? Nothing. <laughs> I guess it didn't shock you. So I did find some interesting tidbits that play into our pirate world. Eight is a representation of infinity. It's the infinity symbol that's rotated 90 degrees, you know, if you look yes. at that. In fact, the references and listing of eight or connections to things is almost infinite itself that I found. And I actually stopped reading about it because I was like, okay, I'm not going to go through all this. Well, eight's supposed to be a lucky number also. That's right. Yeah. You know, all the connections to this n- number eight just kept going on and on throughout history, you know, where this number appeared. And yeah. Like I said, I finally just stopped looking at it because I'm thinking, okay, where's this? What am I going to really do? Just all of a sudden start listing off everything here? It doesn't make sense. So I just picked a couple of things, not necessarily of how eight was representation of things in history, but actually what it symbolized as far as numerology is concerned. And it was like abundance and power, the symbol of harmony and balance. And a double eight like we have here is said to bring double joy, at least in, say, Chinese culture. And it's linked to an image of money and power. And the eight balances the material and immaterial worlds. It's also represented in the Bible as a new beginning, meaning a new order or creation. And that man's true born again event when he is resurrected from the dead and goes into eternal life. So does this kind of ring a bell with Barbosa and his curse for eternity? Not that some of those good points about it. But if you were to like look at what are the opposite points of those? What is everything that's opposite? That's kind of what Barbosa is. And then we have the number two, and two conveys the meaning of union and division, and they become kind of one with greed, which is kind of interesting. Huh. So more Bible references, those who ultimately refuse to repent and obey God will be put to death forever by being thrown into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. And then there's two that has that kind of connection with jealousy and her vengeful nature when she feels mistreated and her cruelty when punishing adversaries, because two is actually a feminine number, supposedly. But the most intuitive of all the single-digit numbers she is drawn to the occult is basically second on the list of like the most or the number that is most associated with the occult, which is interesting. Huh. So all of this stuff we could say is linked to Barbosa and the cursed crew, but maybe, like I said, in this opposite or cursed manner, at least for the number eight. The Aztec saw Cortez and his conquistadors as like this epitome of seeking material goods. So the eight or the double eight, which is good, has really been kind of flipped or turned on its heels. And then is, you know, like this embodiment of what Barbosa is now, kind of the evil person. And they want all this stuff. And now they're really consumed by it. And it's this play, I think, again, on light and dark. And we continue to see this throughout the film, this whole light and dark aspect of things. That's what I'm kind of taking it as, that there's this cool light and dark symbolism with 882, but the writer probably just chose it for no apparent reason. <laughs> you know, it's like a random number because it sounded good. I don't know. Right. But I'm just taking it for all these different things that maybe it has some kind of significance with them. I'm wondering if it's something within the movie franchise. 882 people were in the movie or, you know oh, what I man, mean? Oh, man, are if you really something... throwing a conspiracy like that out? Now i got to look that if up. If there's something along those lines that, or there's something in the movie that's 882 
Or in the treasure, there's 882 pieces of something that, yes, I'm doing that to you. Yeah, you really want me to like obsess about this now because you know I can't leave things alone. For the next like three weeks, I'll be sitting in a dark room just looking at a screen trying to find out all this 882 (laughs) connection. I really need to, guess, do some more homework on why there was 882, which I probably should have looked at the Pirates of the Caribbean wiki, uh, but I I didn't do that. That would have probably been a smart thing to do if there was a connection because they would probably have why it was 882 if there was a reason. Right. Because 882 is just an odd That's right. number unless, like you said, they're going with the numerology, you know, definitions of the individual numbers or something. I almost forgot, too, while I was looking for an Aztec reference on 882, I did find that in West Virginia, there is a house on 882 Aztec Drive. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm wondering, dare I say, is this Barbosa's home address? I don't want everybody going there. But if you happen to be in West Virginia and you happen to be on Aztec Drive, stop by address 882 and just peek in and see if it's Barbosa there. You know, check the license plate. Does it say Black Pearl on it? You know, has he really lived all these years? And is he there? I'm just curious about that. So perhaps we'll maybe find something with 882 or somebody out there in the listening world can let us know if there's something that we missed about 882 or the significance of it. Maybe we'll find out one day. Maybe we won't. Maybe it's nothing made up. But what we also did find is that the curse placed upon the treasure of Cortez was based on the talk of a curse from the original ride, particularly from the line, No fear have ye of evil curses, says you. are properly warned ye be, says I. Who knows when that evil curse will strike the greedy beholders of this bewitched treasure. That line as well as the skeletons that appear maybe coming up. (laughs) We can't spoil that. Appeared during the curse's mentioning inspired the skeletal effects of the Aztec curse as well. So all of these kinds of things are actually coming from the ride or at least referenced of the ride or inspired by the ride. Which actually is this entire movie which is pretty cool. Very cool. That's right. That's awesome. So I really don't have anything else here, and that's about it for me. Do you? No, I think that's it for me today. All right. Thank God we made it through. I'm still cursed. Heather is the one with a medallion. She's okay. Yep. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. Life you get just... mighty scary. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 58 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then... Let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Aye! What's that, Banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern? Take me to her, buddy! Blimey! Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up! The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket! Hey Scallywags, while Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. If you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy.